You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. My name is Evan. I'm another one of the senior pastors. There's many, many of us here. And uh, it is great to be with you. And I also need a volunteer today. No background check required, but you have to be good at shuffling cards. I need one. I need one to join me on stage. All right, right here. I, I appreciate the boldness. Uh, let's give it up for her as she comes to the stage. Now, uh, what's your name? Ashley. Ashley, thank you for joining me up on stage. You might be expecting a card trick. It is not a card trick. It is have to, having to do with math, though. So any math fans in the house? This one's for you. No one's excited about math. This, this is how it works. Nobody's excited about math. Okay, so I'm going to give you this deck of cards, 52 cards, normal cards. Um, and if you want to shuffle them on uh, the podium this morning, um, you can go ahead and do that. Keep, just keep shuffling and shuffling as I, as I do this next part. So as Ashley is shuffling these cards, let's assume, and by the way, you're doing a great job because that's a lot of pressure to just stand up on stage and, and then have to do that in front of everybody. Um, if Ashley just kept shuffling and shuffling and there was no repeats in the order of cards that she was shuffling, how long do you think we'd have to wait for her to shuffle through all the potential combinations of cards? More than a week? Yeah. More than 10 years? Yeah. Do you know that Ashley would have to stand up here for more than 100 billion years? to get through every combination of cards. And looking out at the crowd, I'm not sure you guys have that kind of time. <laughs> so as Ashley continues to shuffle for just a few, you know, 20, 30 more minutes, I, I want to put up on the screen, I want to put up on the screen the total number uh, mathematically of different combinations, different combinations that you can make with 52 cards, if we can put that up. Look at that number. Rounded up, that's 81 with 67 zeros after it. It's roughly the same number uh, that they project, scientists project, of atoms in the Milky Way galaxy. That's how many different ways you can arrange 52 different cards. So here's the point. And Ashley, thank you. You can hand me the cards. Give it up for Ashley, everybody. <laughs> Wonderful job. That means, thanks to Ashley, statistically speaking, this arrangement of cards that Ashley has given us has never been shuffled in human history and will never be shuffled again, statistically. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So if you think that you've seen it all, you've never seen this. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody. You're like, that guy's the worst illusionist I've ever seen. All right. I'm excited for all the uh, math people to email me with comments and observations from that. But you haven't seen it all. Um, and today I want to talk uh, and explore this idea of um, cynicism. You know, we live in an age of cynicism, and I think at the root of that is the idea that maybe we've seen it all. And I want to ask the question, what would it do to your hope for the future if we truly believed that there was things yet to see? If we really believed that in the story of Jesus and how he interacts with your life, maybe there's surprises left to be seen. And maybe he might do things in the future that are not dictated by what you've seen in the past. We're going to go to John chapter 6 this morning. We're in a series about uh, lesser known heroes in the Bible. We might all be familiar with um, the big names, David and Moses and Jesus and Paul, Peter. Uh, but there are also hundreds and hundreds of lesser characters, supporting characters in the story of God in the Bible. And so we've been walking through some of these character studies 
And uh, I've really been enjoying um, hearing uh, some of the ways that we can find ourselves in the story. You know, you may not really relate to um, an ancient Israelite king uh, who has, you know, unlimited wealth and fortune, uh, but you can maybe relate to a, a young woman who's been overlooked by her society and yet finds that Jesus has compassion on her and values her. You might be able to, to relate to that. You might be able to relate to someone who has a deep need in their life or their body and comes to Jesus and he has compassion and healing for you. You might relate to that. And today we're gonna look at the story out of John chapter six. It starts this way. After, the, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And then Jesus climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples all around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him and turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was gonna do. Philip replied, well, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and, uh, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, everyone was full, and Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the gospel that tells us uh, Jesus, the way that you, you work and you think and you act. Um, Lord, I pray that, that today this story would really jump off the page and uh, speak to us and um, change maybe how we think and how we feel and how we look at the future and the hope that we have uh, for what you will do next. Lord, we love you and we thank you for speaking to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk about the, the future in your life. Uh, how hopeful are you? I asked our team that this week, and we went around the table, and uh, we kind of had the whole gamut. On a scale of one to ten, we had some tens and nines. They were smiling the whole time. And as we worked around the table, we got down to twos and threes, and they were not as happy. Uh, because we all have different levels of optimism and hope when we think about the future. We have all different levels of cynicism that lives in our hearts and minds. And whether that comes from uh, external sources or from inside of us, uh, it's something that is so commonplace in the day and age we live in. And in a time when we should be very optimistic, I mean, is there anything we can't do uh, as a society? I mean, we are, we are making a, a accomplishments and advances in technology and science and understanding and intelligence and all these things at such a rapid pace. That should give us great optimism that we could solve the problems that the world faces I mean, we're sending people to space just because they want to go now. I didn't even know that was a thing growing up. I thought you had to have like certifications. No, they just stick you on a jet and they send you into outer space. This is Jetson style stuff, guys. And yet cynicism seeps in to so many areas of our society where we look at the future 
and we think, oh, is there really any hope? Is there really any hope? So I look at this story today, and we have um, 5,000, it says 5,000 men, so probably at least 10 to 20,000 people total with women and children following Jesus out as he's teaching and healing. And Jesus knows that they're going to need food. By the way, Jesus knows what you need too. And so they get out into the wilderness, and Jesus asks, how are we going to feed them? And the disciples don't know what to do, so they go around. And, and if you've ever been at a, a youth group event, you know, you know how this works. You send out a volunteer to be like, hey, does anybody have what we need to make this thing happen? Does anybody have any food? And in the story, all they can come up with is one boy with his lunch. That's it. And as I reread this story in preparation for today, I thought, there's no way in a crowd of 15,000 people that no one else brought food. You know why? Because moms are in that crowd. <laughs> I'm married to a mom. I have a mom. I've known moms. And if there's one thing I know about moms, and I don't like to generalize, but I think it's safe in this case, they bring snacks. Some of you moms in the room, you have snacks right now. <laughs> they might be needed by the end of the service. <laughs> Jesus would, would teach for hours. He would heal. And these were not short, you know, concise gatherings. People would have known this. They would have brought some supplies, some snacks. So when the disciples come out and they begin to ask, does anyone have any food? It's not that no one had food. It's that the vast majority of them that did could do the math. And they're looking around and they're seeing 15,000 people surrounding Jesus. And they're looking in their purse and they see what they brought for their family and for their kids. And they think, it doesn't compute. 15,000 hungry people plus what I brought equals 15,000 hungry people. And so the smart thing, the wise thing is to not raise your hand is to keep what's yours, yours, because in the end, it's not going to help anyway. And here's this boy who either by naivete or just the fact that he maybe hasn't been disappointed in his life enough, he has the audacity to hope that maybe, just maybe, his little lunch could make a difference. He has the crazy thought that because it's Jesus who is asking for his lunch, Maybe it matters. And so he's not the only one with food, but he's the only one crazy enough to raise his hand. Um, if you look it up, you'll see the opposite of hope is despair, technically. I think practically the opposite of hope is cynicism. It's that moment when we get to the place in our lives where we think, I've seen it all, I know how this story goes. Anybody watch uh, TBS during the daytime on TV? Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> you know those syndicated shows, the ones that, that were so popular in the original runs that they, they graduated into the Hall of Fame of TV programs where they get played for days on end on loop on stations like TBS. This, this was, of course, true more so before streaming took over. But there were, you know, as a kid, I remember growing up and you would, uh, you would see like Perry Mason would play just every single day and on a loop, on a loop. And I think sometimes when we approach the future and our hopes for the future, we assume we're watching TBS. We assume that we've seen how this plays out. We know how this plot goes. It's going to give us a few laughs along the way, but no surprises. 
And into this setting, we find Jesus, and he's constantly interrupting the reruns of the, the monotony of everyday life in these, in these first century folks' lives. Everywhere he goes, he operates as an interrupter to the status quo and the reruns of life. And here we are all these years later, followers of Jesus, believing in Jesus, and I think sometimes we have forgotten his role as the interrupter. We have forgotten his role as the one who surprises us with things that we have never seen. We think we've seen it all. And so cynicism sets in. I've heard it said that cynicism is the recourse of cowards. If you're a cynic today, like I can be, I don't think you're a coward. But I know that there's a safety in assuming the worst. There's a safety from being disappointed when we don't get our hopes up too high. Um, one of my favorite hikes is to start at Todd Lake on the uh, Cascade Lakes Trail. And um, uh, actually, Eric, you went on this hike with me the last time we went. And uh, we started at Todd's Lake, and you go up into the crater of uh, Broken Top. It's a beautiful hike. And what we did, Eric and I and a, a few friends, what we did the last time uh, we hiked it, rather than taking the Todd Lake Trail that connects to the Broken Top Trail, uh, we decided, you know, we can see the mountain. The trail's over there. The mountain's here. We'll just go straight for the mountain. <laughs> We're a hardy folk. We can do that. And so we went around the lake, and we headed straight into the thick underbrush of the forest. And, uh, you know, I don't hike a lot, but I learned that day distances can be deceptive. And so we, we, we started hiking, and we're hiking over just, it's thick forest. I mean, trees, fallen trees are rotting beneath our feet, and, uh, you know, our ankles are in constant mortal danger. Um, and, and every time we think, okay, this is the final hill we have to get, get over. As soon as we get over this hill, then it's going to open up into that nice meadow at the base of Broken Top, and it'll be easy going. We'll find the trail, and again and again, false horizon. Okay, this one, this one's it. False horizon. Another 20 minutes, another 40 minutes, another hour in the woods. And this is the cycle we can get stuck in, especially these days, where we start to think, maybe I should stop hoping, because the last time I got my hopes up, and I thought we were going to be through this, we're still in the woods. We haven't come into the clear, and we haven't had that breakthrough, and we haven't made progress with my kids, and we haven't, and we haven't, and we haven't, and so we start to lose hope in the future. And there's this verse from a guy um, who, if you read his story, King David, you find over and over again constant disappointment, constant loss, constant... Um, times when the hopes were high and they were dashed, and yet he had the audacity to write this in Psalms 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And I get this, this vi visual image of us. When we've been disappointed, when we've lost hope, when we feel like we're just gonna be on a, a loop, a false horizon after false horizon, and never make it out of the woods, that we would stand on yet another top of a hill in the middle of a forest, but we look to the mountain and say, you are my help and I'm not giving up. I'm not gonna turn around. I'm not gonna go back because I have a, a confidence that I haven't seen everything yet. I haven't seen it all. And maybe by putting myself out there with courage and vulnerability, this inadequate gift that I bring 
might make a difference. Um, in this moment of uncertainty for the crowd, they don't know where they're going to get their food. They don't know if they're going to go hungry following Jesus there. This boy who planned ahead, or his mom planned ahead for him, more likely, he risks going hungry himself at the request of Jesus. And so in a moment of uncertainty where the future is not clear, the boy chooses generosity. And I think there's something for us today in that we would respond to uncertainty with generosity. The shakier the world gets and the, the less guaranteed the security of our future becomes, the more our hands open, the more generosity flows out of us, the more we say, listen, I'm not here just to protect mine and my own but we live with a generosity that flows through us because we know this, if it's Jesus who's asking, if it's Jesus who's asking, he's got our needs in mind. He's got our needs in mind. So we talked about the boy. Let's talk about the lunch. It's, uh, it's one thing that uh, we always would do is we tried, when we were in youth ministry here at the church, we would try to engage um, our students in, in leadership as well. And there was this one year where we had a retreat coming up and we had a group of, of student leaders, high schoolers. And so we tasked these high schoolers with, with, uh, with providing the food for this retreat. We didn't clarify exactly what we were expecting with that. And so we showed up to the retreat and um, Alyssa probably remembers this, but... Um, I think they had in their mind, we just, we just need to spend the least amount of money. They were like in, in uh, high school mode of like ramen noodles and just the cheapest bread you can find, you know? So we get out there and it, it was, it was, it was a, a, a bad situation, the kinds of food that these high school boys thought was going to be enough, you know? And the inadequacy that we felt there is kind of like the inadequacy that, that this boy's lunch is when faced with a crowd of thousands. I mean, if you've ever been to the convention center out at the fairgrounds, think of that completely filled to the brim with people and think, man, I got to feed them with what's in my bag. The gift is inadequate for the task. And yet, Jesus doesn't hesitate to bless that which is not up for the task. Listen, for, for those of us who have felt inadequate when we come to Jesus and feel like other people have got it going on, I don't even know where to begin. And you feel inadequate to do this thing, to follow Jesus, to, 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 to believe in Jesus, to have enough faith, to, 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 to live a life following after him, to commit yourself to his way. Listen, the inadequate thing is not enough for Jesus to hesitate or to stop. He blesses that which is not enough. And if you feel like you're not enough, you're beginning the process of a miracle. He gives this, this uh, inadequate, not enough lunch to the disciples. They give it to Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He breaks what has been given to bless it. He breaks what's been given to bless it. You know, through our story, as, uh, as we faced struggles this past year with my wife's health, and I've opened up about that and been vulnerable about that uh, from this stage, I have heard in response from so many of you with similar st stories almost every week. Um, you've shared struggles that you've had in your families and losses that you've encountered and experienced and, and what you've walked through. And uh, it is humbling to, to understand just how much we're all in this together. 
And never in those conversations, when you've told me about the challenges you face, have I got a sense of overwhelming arrogance from you, you know? Like, yeah, other people might struggle with that, but it's no big deal for me. I'm tough. No, of course not. There's a vulnerability and a realness when you walk through broken things. And I know this in my life, the, the people I respect the most, mentors and heroes of mine, are not the ones that have somehow managed to skate through life untouched by trouble. The ones I respect the most are those who have walked through brokenness and found the blessing of God waiting for them in the middle of it. Not in spite of the breaking, not someday after the breaking, but many times in the middle of the breaking is where the blessing happens. And this is what Jesus does to this gift. He takes what's inadequate, he breaks it open, and at that point, that's when I'm like, I've gotta, I've gotta go, I can't do this anymore. I come to church and I feel inadequate and broken. That's not what I signed up for. And so many have walked away because of that very thing. And what I wanna say to you today, if you're in that place where you feel inadequate and broken, you're two parts towards the miracle. Those are the first two ingredients that go in the pot. The next step is provision and miraculous blessing because Jesus is involved. And so what do we do when we feel inadequate and broken? We make sure that we are solidly in the arms of Jesus. Solidly in the arms of Jesus because when he is involved and he is doing the blessing, we might be surprised by the miracle that comes after. I want to um, go back to verse 5 and 6 before we end today. It says Jesus... Uh, saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Notice that that's all they do. The crowd has no other qualifications. The crowd doesn't perform any incantations or line up for tickets. All they do is they come to look for Jesus. And turning to Philip, Jesus asked, where can we bribe bread to feed all these people? And he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was gonna do. All the people did was come to look for Jesus, and immediately Jesus knows how he's going to provide. The people didn't, didn't have any special qualifications. The people didn't even ask. The people didn't even know they were hungry yet. All they did was look for him, and Jesus knew what he was going to do. He had a plan. Sometimes I don't know what to pray. I'm a pastor. I, I'm supposed to know. I've taken classes on prayer. I should know what to pray. But in my real life, sometimes I don't know what to ask for. And because of that, you know what happens? I stop praying altogether. And this isn't theoretical. My prayers have dried up in a season of trouble for me. Because there's moments I don't know what to pray for. When I think about my family, what do I pray for? Complete healing or enough strength to make it through another week? Do we pray for that, that disease to be gone or do we just pray for the numbers to improve? And what am I supposed to do? I don't know. And so we stop praying. So I stop praying. And Jesus sees us when we come to look for him and he already knows what he's gonna do before we even ask. He would tell his disciples later, he would say, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. 
See, I, I, I many times am under the impression that if I know exactly the words to say, if I can write out just and frame it just the way that God wants to hear it, if I send that prayer up, he's going to be like, wow, well done, sir. You can have what you're asking for. Listen, that is not how Jesus acts. He's a good father and knows how to give good gifts to his children. He's a good shepherd and doesn't expect the sheep to know the next four steps before he'll act and be a good shepherd. And so before they even get there, Jesus knows what he's going to do. Before the boy raises his hand and says, I have a lunch, Jesus knows the miracle that's going to come. And for you today, if you've lost sight of what you should even ask for, you don't even know what to pray. You don't even know if you can pray. This is the hope for your future. Is that when you started to look for him, he already knew what he was going to do. He already had the answer queued up. And so what I want for us is not to feel like in this religious environment that we have to somehow educate our way into the knowledge of, of, of what to say so beautifully that we'll get what God has almost like is withholding from us, you know? If we just have the right combination of words. No, 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 no. Jesus is a good shepherd. I want to, um, I want to live in a community with all of you, not an actual community, like a commune, commune, that would be weird, it would be too many people. <laughs> but I want to be in this community with you in a way that is um, something I think Pastor Steve has, has modeled so well, a vulnerability where um, we can maybe lay down that facade of that somehow we've got God figured out. And that our mission is to leave this place and make sure everyone agrees that we've got everything figured out. If we could lay that down and live in a place where we know that our, our goal is not to be right, our goal is to be close to Jesus and bring as many people as we can into that space. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And so I, I hope you hear me today that I want to be real honest um, in the moments when I feel like I'm not enough when I feel inadequate, when I feel like the gift that I have to bring it may not get the job done. When I feel like maybe my life's being broken up a little bit, that together, 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 we would carry each other into the arms of Jesus and say, Jesus, bless what is broken and inadequate. What's so cool about this miracle, and this is, this is amazing, is that all the other miracles that Jesus had done up to this point, they were like one-on-one. -on -one. So that left room for skepticism because, you know, uh, a blind person comes to Jesus and, and Jesus heals that blind person. The eyes open and, and then that, that guy goes out and he says, my eyes were open, I was blind, but now I see. And people say, were you really? Were you really? I don't know. I don't know if you were actually blind. Someone is crippled and in bed and Jesus raises them up. Were you really crippled or were you faking it? But see, this time, 5,000 men plus women and children, 15,000 people tasted in their mouths the provision and the miraculous move of Jesus. They couldn't deny it because they had tasted it for themselves. And we're at close today, and this is, what I, um, this is why I have hope for the future. 
It's because I believe that God is on the move at Westside Church in this place. Not exclusively. We're not better than everybody else, but I believe he's here. Not just to minister to my life, not just to work in my family, not just to have some isolated cases where, where God comes through, but so that we would all taste and see that God is good. So that we would all experience the provision of Jesus that he had had in mind from the beginning, that in the, the days ahead, I have hope that we would all be carriers of the message that Jesus is the one we were looking for. Why do you know it? Because I tasted for myself. I hope you want to taste for yourself. I hope you'll, you'll reach out as the, you know, the baskets of bread from the disciples come around and you'll see for yourself that this is the real deal. Would you pray with me? Jesus, today, when we don't know what to pray, we don't know what to ask for, we don't know what the future holds, we run into the arms of Jesus because that's where the blessing is. That's where you do the surprising and the unexpected and the things that we've never seen. And so Jesus, I would pray for hope to rest on this place. I pray that, that for those of us maybe who struggle to be hopeful because cynicism has, has found a home in our hearts, that today, Jesus, you would remind us that there is more to see, that the future you have for us is not dictated by the storyline of the past and that we would receive in each of us, your presence and your miraculous provision. With your uh, heads bowed, your eyes closed today, if you're here in this place and you're, um, you're in that place where you don't know what to pray, you don't, you don't know what's next, you don't, you don't feel like you have your footing right now, um, I wanna pray for you uh, that God would draw you into his hand not so that you'd have all the answers, but you, so you would know his presence and his closeness and that when he's got you, he's got the end in mind. And so if that's you and you, you just feel really uncertain and unsure of, of what's next for your life and you don't want to pray, would you raise your hand? Just be bold and vulnerable with me right now. I want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, hands all over. Jesus, for every hand raised, in Jesus' name, uh, we just ask. Hope would stir again. We don't know what to pray. We don't know what to say. We don't have the words. We're not eloquent enough to convey all the things in our hearts that you would be the good father who gives good gifts to children. You would be the good shepherd who takes care of his flock. And Lord, that we would learn to trust maybe more than we ever have as we step into the future. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.